Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. to clearly understand the biblical standard of love and compassion towards sinners and yet not promote, honor, or encourage the sin. Do you understand what I'm saying there? We need to be those that have love and compassion. We need to be those that are are going to be able to, to come alongside, not to encourage the sin, not to promote the sin, but to encourage that individual to walk in righteousness rather than in sin. In today's message, Pastor David explores the Apostle Paul's discipline of certain actions by the Corinthian church. People in the Corinthian church were committing acts that were even considered immoral by non-Christians who were not in the church. Paul did not want them to tolerate such sinful behavior. Rather, the church then and now should be addressing sin with the goal of forgiveness, redemption, and changed behavior that is transformed according to God's truth. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, In-House Cleaning. anything much about 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you might understand that tonight is going to be kind of PG rated, okay? Because we're going to be dealing with some issues in chapter 5, some charges that the Apostle Paul has against the church of Corinth. They're dealing with sexual sin that's going on within the church. It's not the easiest subject to preach about due to the wide range of people's maturity, people's sensitivity, people's experience, and all those kinds of things. But as we look at these things, it shouldn't take us by surprise that Paul and the church were confronted with these types of issues, and they had to deal with them in much the same way that we have to deal with them today. As Solomon tells us, there's nothing new under the sun. Man's life, again, uh, our passions, our directions, uh, the, the sinfulness of man has been there all through all of our creation and all of our, our life on earth. Now, when I speak about the fact that Paul and the church at Corinth had to deal with it in the same way that we do today— Uh, There's a couple of exceptions that I need to make on that before we get into the study. The first one is you need to understand that the church in Paul's day allowed them to deal with these issues and other issues in in a more complete way than we're able to do today, and I'll explain that to you a little bit later, but just bear that in mind. The second thing I want you to understand is despite the known uh, depravity of the pagan world and the pagan culture that first century Roman Empire church had to deal with, my personal understanding, my personal belief is that the society and the culture that you and I live in today 
with the literally overwhelming proliferation of sexual sins, promiscuous behavior, all the continued advancement in print media, video media, and technological capabilities. With our culture's fast and furious departure from any resemblance from the Judeo-Christian base that we started out with, I feel that we're actually surpassing some of the stuff that was going on in the Roman culture at that time. And again, more about that later. As we've seen already, Paul is writing to a church that's very familiar with him. He had ministered there. He had been there for, for a time. He knew a lot of the people there in Corinth personally. Even in his letters, he's able to speak out names of, of different ones that he knows are still living there. He had written them before. We find out as we read 1 Corinthians, this wasn't the, actually the first letter to the Corinthians. This is actually the second letter, but we don't have 1 Corinthians anymore. So this is now the only 1 Corinthians that we have. He's written to them dealing with some of the issues Actually, that he's still dealing with them here in the book that we're looking at tonight. And apparently, this overall issue of sexual sins has been at least one of the subjects that he's touched on in that earlier correspondence, and there's more that he's going to deal with even later beyond chapter 5, again, as he's writing to this church in a culture it's just overwhelmed with many of the same issues that you and I see and, and recognize today. For right now, he has to deal with a particular situation in a very direct and, and a very pointed way. Now, discipline, I don't know about you, but discipline is never fun. Never enjoyed it when I was a kid. I never enjoyed it when I was a dad. I don't enjoy it even as a leader. Discipline is not fun, either for the one that's being disciplined or for the one that's giving out discipline. And I believe that Paul understands that too. But yet the church in Corinth in order for it to become all that God intended for it to be, as a matter of fact, any church, for it to become all that God intends it to be, for Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, for us to become all that God intends us to be, spiritual discipline has to be a part of the complete ministry and the approach of our ministry in dealing and in shepherding the flock of God. All with that absolute purpose, though, of reconciliation, redemption, and a wholehearted pursuit to the return of righteousness. Now, that's what discipline is for. That's what we're given discipline for, is, again, for reconciliation, redemption, and to the return of that pursuit of righteousness. So let's get into the issue here. Hopefully you found 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where we're at tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, very short chapter, only 13 verses. But let's look at uh, just the beginning of it, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes to this church, he says, It's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as it's not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you're puffed up. You've not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. For indeed, as absent in the body but present in spirit, I've already judged as though I were present. I've judged him who has so done this deed. And in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. 
do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Okay, does anybody else want to come preach this message tonight? (laughs) Verse 1, Paul makes it very clear. That sin is well known. It's actually reported. It's it's not just that, hey, I, I got a little word on the side that this is going on. We believe this is going on. Well, apparently, it's, it's well-known, and it's probably well-known outside the church within the community. It's amazing how these things make their way through the communication channels of communities. It's actually reported. It's well-known. You're not hiding anything, in essence, is what he's saying. And even in the phrasing Paul uses here, he, he shows, I believe, is his frustration and his astonishment, as well as his sadness, and I believe, yeah, Probably anger, too. All of these emotions going through him as he's writing these things out to this church. He didn't say, well, you know, I kind of got a feeling that something's wrong over there, guys. Or, hey, you know, I understand there might be a struggle with some of you. No, the original language pretty well conveys the idea that the news uh, pretty well shocked and horrified Paul. And that's how he's writing back to him. He's so emphatic with it that he's writing to, if he were writing today, he would say, hey guys, it was on Nightline News. I saw it on 60 Minutes. It was a section on 2020. What's going on in your church? The world knows about it. That one issue, seems like everyone knew about it. The next issue is how it compared to the pagan world that they were called to minister to. So you got the issue of the sin Now, how does that sin compare to what's going on outside the church? Such sexual immorality, it's not even named among the Gentiles. Now, it's not that that particular sin didn't happen among the Gentiles. I'm I'm certain that it probably did, but it's just that even those who didn't consider themselves to be followers of Jesus, they, they understood that that was not a good situation to be in. You ought not be doing that kind of thing. Even for the pagan world, they knew that. They understood that. Now, let me take a quick sidebar here in in reference to that. Have you ever wondered where non-believers get their moral compass? What makes wrong, wrong, and right, right for the non-believer? What what standard do do they go by? Well, this makes me feel good. How do you feel about it? Well, if we both feel about it, then it must be okay. Or maybe I feel about it, you don't feel good about it, but I'm more important than you are, so it is okay. Where do, again, non-believers, I think it's a great conversation to get into, particularly with an evolutionist and, and an atheist. And not in a controversial way, just in a very curious way. Let me ask you. Where do you get your moral compass? Where where do you get your moral standing? I know you understand right from wrong, well, in their own eyes. But where do you get that balance? Where does does it really come from? Just out of curiosity. What makes their standard right or wrong compared to others? If my moral standard states that everyone should be and have whatever they want in life, then under that moral compass, it's okay for me to rob you. Because I think everybody ought to get what they want to get. Forget about, you know, that it's wrong to steal. Who says it's wrong to steal? Where's the moral compass? In fact, the truth is, is that God has placed in every man the knowledge of right and wrong. Now, we're going to spin off a little bit 
from 1 Corinthians 5 here, but we are making a point, so hopefully stay with me. Paul shares very clearly in Romans chapter 1. Just go to your left a number of pages. In Romans chapter 1. Down in verse 18, Paul explains the situation of how because God created us, all of us, the non-believer as well as the believer, there is, even within the non-believer, there was at least initially a moral compass. Now, what he did with that then determines where his life goes. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 1, down in verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Okay, so they have to know the truth to suppress the truth. Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. God had placed it in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. I think last time I preached on that, in fact, I was in Peru at the Bible college in Peru. I taught through the book of Romans. How heartbreaking that is when, when I read, God gave them up. You know, when God gives up on you, you know you're in a mess, Okay. God gave them up to their uncleanness, to the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. The ones who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creator rather, or the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. And again, God gave them up. For this reason, God gave them up. He gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. God gave them up again. God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which were not fitting being filled with unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do they do the same, but they also approve of those who practice them. Now, if you've been with us on Sundays over the last couple of weeks, you know that little list there of the sins of the unrighteous sounds a whole lot like is what's going to be happening in the last days to those who are in the visible church. In other words, we start acting like the world. And you see, that's what's going on here in Corinth. 
You've got a guy that's a part of your church, and he's acting just like the world, yet he's saying, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm your brother, brother, sister, I'm a believer. And yet his life is definitely not showing that. Even in a non-believer's world, they reject or they accept, at least up to a certain level, many of the things that we just read, while others have a totally different standard. Again, back to the study, we, we, even the Gentile, the pagan, the non-believing world, they had a hard time with this man's actions. It may be happening, but they don't flaunt it. They don't talk about it very much. It may be happening with us non-believers, but we're not going to really boast about the fact that I'm sleeping with my mother, uh, my stepmother. But Corinth, the church, seemed to be proud of it. The sin he had his father's wife. And in the context of what the words used, the best understanding we can come from this is that the man was actively involved in the fellowship at Corinth and he was either now married to or he was shacking up with his stepmother. Now, again, it was much more than just an occasional contact. Again, with, with the phraseology used, the context of it, it was pretty much a, a, they're living in this continual sexual relationship. Now, whether his father was dead or the couple had divorced, we don't know. We don't read anything about his father at all. We don't know, again, what was going on in that relationship. But we do know that the relationship with this man and this woman was going against the word and the commands of God. There's absolutely no doubt about that. We can go not only, again, just the, the, the basic knowledge of mankind, but we can all go back to the word of God and to the command of God. Back in Leviticus chapter 18, you don't need to turn there right now, but it gives us this whole list of commands dealing with interfamily sexual relationships. And God says, don't do this and don't do that. No, don't do that either. Oh, and by the way, don't do this or this or this because it's just wrong. And he goes on and on about, as a matter of fact, he, he warns against all these relationships with every combination of immediate family, step family, as well as the offspring. And he warns them, hey, that's what the Egyptians were doing. And I saved you out of that. And this is what the people in Canaan are doing. And I'm bringing you in there and I'm going to destroy you and give them or give you their land because of that very thing. So don't you be that way or I'm going to destroy you too. Now somehow in the midst of the Corinthian culture, that church there in Corinth, it come to the conclusion that it was okay for this to happen. It's okay for this thing to be in the church for us to even have some sort of pride in the fact that, uh, hey, you know, we're, we're tolerant about these kinds of things. Paul says you're puffed up about it. They were proud of their tolerance. And beloved, this is, this is, this is the current push of our culture on the church today, that we would be tolerant of all things. World's making every effort it can to get the church to weaken its biblical stance, to receive this ever-changing moral standards of this anti-Christ culture that we live in. And the sad truth is there's a lot of churches, there's a lot of denominations that are selling out. They're selling out the word of God in order to live comfortable within the world system. And they're moving, if they haven't sold out already, they're moving in that direction. And you know what? Many of them that are moved that way, they're puffed up about their tolerance. 
hey, you know, we're fine. You know, we, we allow this to happen in our church. We allow this to happen. We, we're okay with this. No, we don't, we don't stand against abortion. No, we don't stand against uh, homosexuality. No, we don't stand against those things. Those are just people's choices. And yet, beloved, those are the things that are destroying culture. They are definitely destroying and coming against the truth and the word of God. We need to clearly understand the biblical standard of love and compassion towards sinners and yet not promote, honor, or encourage the sin. Do you understand what I'm saying there? We need to be those that have love and compassion. We need to be those that are going to be able to to come alongside, not to encourage the sin, not to promote the sin, but to encourage that individual to walk in righteousness rather than in sin. The sin needs to be dealt with. It, It needs to be rebuked if it is in the church. I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus symbolizes believers and non-believers as sheep and goat. I started to say sheep and goats, but I won't do that. All you guys on this side are goats. No, he symbolizes the believers as sheep and the non-believers as goats. Have you ever seen a goat try to act like a sheep? It ain't going to happen. It's just that they, they don't have the nature. They don't have the abilities. Sheep acting like goats? Well, in a spiritual sense, we see that all the time. My point is, we can't expect goats to act like sheep. And therefore, you know, when we're dealing with sin, when we're dealing with these issues, understand who you're dealing with. When we're dealing with the issues of just sin, the general nature of sin in our culture, it needs to be dealt with literally a a sadness in reference to the spiritual status of that offender. If that offender is lost, the most important thing is not for them to quit being an adulterer or a fornicator or to quit in their homosexual lifestyle. The most important thing in their life is to get their life to come to Jesus Christ, to come to Jesus. And don't tell me that they have to quit being a homosexual or an adulterer or a fornicator or a thief or a murderer or an extortioner before they come to Christ. Because none of us came that way. Just as the hymn says, just as you are. He'll clean us from the inside out. Man wants to clean us from the outside in, don't we? Yeah, make me feel comfortable by you looking good. And God says, no, let me start with the inside and we'll take care of the outside. So there's got to be that compassion. There's got to be that love. If they're lost, man, we need to share Jesus with them. If they say that they're saved, if they say that they know the Lord Jesus, they say that they're following Christ, and we know that, no, no you're, you're living in, in, in apparent, overt, blatant, and continual sin, and you need to stop that. The judgment of God is going to come. And not only is it going to impact you, but it's going to impact those that are close to you. We need to understand the spiritual status of the offender. Our actions need to be surrounded by that holy fear for both the individual, those others that are involved, and the consequences, particularly if it's a believer, for the consequences of the church as a whole. Open 
As we conclude our time here today on The Open Word, we'd like to thank you for listening. We hope that the words Pastor David has shared from the book of 1 Corinthians have touched your life and that you're eager to dive into a deeper relationship with Jesus. We'd like to invite you to join us again on The Open Word, but you don't have to wait to hear more messages from the Word of God. With details on how you can listen online, here's Pastor David. Hey, thanks, Chris. The Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, and shared at theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take the Open Word with you on the go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching The Open Word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound, biblical-based teachings with you anytime and anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. While you're at TheOpenWord.com, be sure to click on About for information about the ministry of The Open Word and more about Pastor David. There's also a link to Pastor David's blog, another great resource that looks deeper into what the Bible is teaching us. That website again is TheOpenWord.com. That's all the time we have for today here on The Open Word. Join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a blessed day.